there's a little wheel hunting in all of us, maybe. Aww. And, you know, <laughs> and and gender is irrelevant here. I okay. mean, you just just think about the, maybe, and okay, so maybe you weren't abused as a child. Maybe you weren't an orphan. But there's there's that you hide behind that facade of whatever it is that makes you feel safe. You're listening to Atlas Now Streaming, the podcast where we review your favorite movies, television shows, and documentaries available on streaming platforms. Atlas Now Streaming is produced by Atlas Medstaff with your host, Jamie Zarlingo. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Atlas Now Streaming. My name is Jamie, I'm your host of this podcast, and today we're going to be talking about, um, it's actually almost the 22 year anniversary of the release of this film. This one's called Goodwill Hunting. Um, so I have Rich Smith with me today, if you hear the, the giggles over you do, there. You don't sound excited about this at all. So I'm actually really excited to talk about this. So the reason we decided to review this today is because I don't even know how we got off on the subject, but I... I don't, I don't remember. I'd only seen this movie once, and I remember thinking it was really bad. <laughs> and Rich was like, what? It's so good, which is typical of pretty much every film either of us has ever seen one of us hates it and the other one loves it i, I don't think two people could have more uh, different opinions about movies but yes that's why it's fun to have you on with me so there you go all right you know yeah you got the the banter so um t- as as usual we're going to go over the plot of this movie which isn't going to take very long because mm. it's kind of a thin plot <laughs> <laughs> i actually i actually re- when i rewatched this i did like it more but I have a lot to say about it, so we'll yep. get into that. But we'll, we'll talk about the plot first. So, cool. Before I get into that, though, just some basic information on this film. It um, was released in 1997. It was directed by Gus Van Sant. And when I did some research on this guy, I don't know anything else he's done. Um, he had just directed um, something. You know, I and I could go back and I didn't even look this up. But there was, yeah, he did. Gosh darn it. Let me see filmography. Mm-hmm. Drugstore were, Cowboy is mm-hmm. what he was like known for. Yeah. Um, he, he's done a few movies since now because of the success of Good Will Hunting. He did Milk, mm-hmm. which is great. Mm-hmm. With, great uh, film. I can't think of his name. Sean Penn. There we go. And James Franco. Oh, really? That was, I think, one of the first serious hmm. films he did. Okay. Um, he also did, um, I actually just found this out, this movie called Elephant, which is about um, the Columbine. Oh, uh, shooting! Interesting. Which, uh, it's like an indie film. That movie is, ooh, hard to watch. And it was called Elephant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I remember it being on like on demand long time ago, hmm. around the early two thousands. Okay. Anyway, directed by Gus Van Sant, it stars um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck as our our lead characters. Robin Williams as a supporting actor, uh, Minnie Driver and Stellan Skarsgård mm-hmm. as our. Um, to kind of round out our main cast. There's a couple of other smaller characters. Casey Affleck um, is one of them. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it's a pretty small cast. Um, those were those are the biggest names. Right. So let's get into it. The film starts with a character, uh, Will Hunting, who is a 20-year-old um, Southie, South Boston, 
uh, guy. Southie. <laughs> the Southie. He um, is a self-taught genius, and he works as a janitor at MIT. Spends his free time drinking with his friends Chucky, Billy, and Morgan. Just a bunch of yucks. Mm-hmm. Um, I found watching this that they are so unlikable. They're just y- kind of skeezy, and there's a scene where they're just drinking beer at like a little kid's baseball game. Like, yeah, who yeah. does who does that? Southeast, I guess. Southeast do that, I guess. And then they see a guy they want to beat up, and yeah. like, hey, that guy used to pick on me. Yep, and that that's pretty much what happens. Yeah. Um, but before that, um, Professor Gerald Lambeau, um, Skarsgård. Um, is he's like an esteemed mathematician and mm-hmm. also is a mathematics professor at MIT. He um, posts this very difficult problem on the chalkboard outside of his classroom, and Will, while he's on the job, solves it, and nobody knows who solved it. And uh, Lambo is like, "Oh, holy shit! Who who's this smart? Who did this?" Mm-hmm. And he asks the students, "Like, who did this?" And not me. Nobody knows. So he puts an even more difficult problem out there, and he catches Will trying to solve it. Um, but he but he gets away before mm-hmm. he really gets a chance to confront him about it. Yes. And he solves the theorem and he's right. Um, then we get to the scene where, like we were talking about, they're at this uh, kid's baseball game. and <laughs> um, Little league, like little, straight little league game. Yeah, they don't know anybody there. They're just there yeah. drinking. And, um, oh, yeah, that guy used to pick on me. So they all just like meet up at this, like a basketball court and just start wailing on these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Will gets pulled off of, the guy and um, the police show up and he assaults the police officer, punching him in the face. So then we cut to a scene um, where he's being arraigned, I guess, mm-hmm. in uh, in court. And uh, you find out a little bit about Will's history. He has some previous assault charges, but he's always found a way out of them based on very, very old laws, which is just, just kind of shows you that he's not only just wildly intelligent, but he has some street smarts he's able to get mm-hmm. himself out of things um grand theft auto and, and yeah amongst other things yeah. impersonated police officer was one of them i think you would and be in prison for that there's no way you would just be able to walk away from mm-hmm. that yeah but he was able to find a way yep. but for this they're like nope you you're gonna go away mm-hmm. but then lambo's like which again this is ridiculous i don't know how this would ever work in real life it's like, hey, I'll take him under my wing. He'll work with me, and I'll make sure he sees a therapist. Well, I and mean, he won't go to jail. If you're like super impressive, like like MIT professor in Boston, then maybe you've got some pull with the judge or two. Sure, maybe. Sure, I, I don't okay. think that's much of a leap, but I see where you're going. I see what you're saying. So yeah, pretty much like a probation period. Mm-hmm. So uh, Lambo has him test him out with a couple of different uh, therapists, and he just mocks them, makes fun of them, mm. and um, yep. just isn't taking it seriously. And he keeps saying, "I don't need therapy. Like it's a joke, essentially." Um, and this is where we meet up with um, our our guy, Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean. Sean. What's his last name? <sighs> I'm trying it's, to find it's very it. Irish. It's <laughs> Sean, Sean McGuire. Yes, McGuire. Yeah, Sean McGuire was uh, Lambo's former uh, roommate in mm-hmm. college. Yep. And now he teaches psychology at a community college. I, I think this is the first, the first bit of the movie where you really feel like there's some there's some good tension between those two. Oh yeah, instantly good tension. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think I don't. I don't, and I think they wrote it intentionally this way that he didn't want to have to go to to Sean. 
for no. this. Like he wanted, and even Sean was like, you went to Ricky and whoever else and whoever else. He's like, oh, you know, through the, through the whole list of different guys that they know. Mm-hmm. And then they he lands on Sean. Right. And so Will and Sean have their first meeting together. And isn't it one of Sean's paintings? It, it was a watercolor that he did. Yeah, it was and a watercolor. He, he just rips him apart. Oh God! Just saying, just awesome. r- just ripping into this man that he doesn't even know. And then mm-hmm. he brings up his wife that we no. we know there's something mm-hmm. about his wife, but we're not really sure just yet. Mm-hmm. But he's like, "Oh, she left you for another man, right?" Mm-hmm. And then like, Sean threatens him. You married the wrong woman. Yeah, like yeah. you you ever disrespect my wife like that again, I'll kill you. Essentially. Yes. Yeah. And you think that that's it, um, but Sean says to to lambo he's like mm-hmm. uh, make sure he comes back again right. at four o'clock the next day or what next week whenever mm-hmm. um and we'll we'll just keep going he doesn't want to give up on this kid just mm-hmm. yet um and you don't really know why but you, mm-hmm. you find a little bit later why yeah uh well, side, he's, a, he's a southie too sean was a southie yeah and and so that, there was a little bit there and but, you find out they have some more in, sure. co- in common later sure. on yes um so Side plot, so um, there's a uh, a senior at Harvard, Skyler, who is at the bar with her friends, mm-hmm. and um, I think this is, is this before or after the assault? This is after the assault. After. They're yes. at the bar, mm-hmm. um, Will and Chuck and their friends, mm-hmm. and um, Chuck goes up to the girls um, trying to hit on them, saying like, oh, we had history together, like just <laughs> being an idiot, and they're not falling for it, and then yep. this ponytail guy... <laughs> Or as I think Will says, um, no, uh, Skylar says, Michael Bolton clone. Yes. Um, just oh, shows up and is just making him look really bad. But at the same time, he's completely plagiarizing some, mm-hmm. like, whatever. I wish I knew ha- who half those, any of those people were that they were talking about. You know, recently since I had a kid, I started putting captions on everything. Because sometimes I'll have the volume turned really low. Okay. And I have really bad hearing. I actually don't have really bad hearing. I just like captions. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can read it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was reading along to this whole monologue that mm-hmm. Will, like Will kind of steps in for his friend um, and just completely embarrasses this ponytail guy like mm-hmm. oh you're trying to act all cool and smart but you're just plagiarizing this other smart guy and yeah you would think this because you're you know a sophomore or whatever student and yep. just completely embarrassing this guy when i was reading and listening to all this i'm like i shows you how not smart i am yes and i consider myself a fairly intelligent person but i'm like oh my god this is mm-hmm. all over my head what's well, the first time you kind of get a glimpse into into his mind too outside of maybe just the like the court case and stuff where he knew the exact page number mm-hmm. of the of where the guy was quoting like that where he was plagiarizing this other guy yeah whatever this was so and so you kind of understand okay will's got a photographic memory at this point too so is there a word or like a term for what what he has like he's able to read like a a book or like a page of a book mm-hmm. in the same amount of time we can read like a sentence. Mm. So he has some sort of ability to just yeah. like in addition to photographic memory, he just is able to memorize things and just read things very quickly. Hence his self-taught genius. Yep. Um, so then uh, Skylar and Will kind of hit it off and they start to date and you can kind of tell that, that uh, Will is is a little apprehensive to get into this relationship. Um, you can tell that he's had some, you know, abandonment issues. We mm-hmm. don't really know too much just yet, but you can c- kind of tell that he's had some issues in the past. And mm-hmm. so he's reluctant to start a relationship with Skylar, even though he, he really likes her and she's beautiful and smart. And she brings up the fact that she's going to Stanford for med school. And um, at some point she asks if he will come with her 
Um, and I don't think he says yes or no just yet. He's not sure what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he, you know, trying to cover up his kind of poor, bad background, he says, oh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm an Irish Catholic. I have 12 brothers and I'm the youngest and um, I live with three of them just, you know, making up all these stories to her. And she's like, oh, you know, I, I would love to meet him sometime and I want to meet your friends and we're always at my, you know, my dorm at the school, you know, we never go to your place. And so one night he does introduce her to his friends and they actually really like her. Mm -hmm. Everyone's getting along. And, but then he comes up with some excuse as to, you know, oh, we can't go back to my place. You can't meet my brothers just yet. And so she's starting to get the idea that, you know, maybe he's not being totally honest with me. And there's a scene that uh, he kind of just explodes on her, mm-hmm. like, well, what do you want to hear that, you know, this scar, I got stabbed, and mm-hmm. I don't actually have brothers, I'm an orphan, and he just right. kind of unloads on her, and and she, you know, confesses, oh, I love you, please, you know, like, I just want to help you, and, you know, be there for you, and he, you know, as a defense mechanism is like, mm-hmm. well, I don't love you, and walks out the door. Right. During all of this, he's also still meeting with Sean, and there's this really cool scene. And so I'll just say right now that, to me, Robin Williams carries this film. He, and hence why he won the Mm -hmm. Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Um, I don't think he carries it alone, but he is probably the the heart of the whole movie. Oh, I don't think you can argue that, yeah, at all. He's the the heart and soul of of the whole movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, there's this great scene where he talks about, uh, you find out that his wife uh, had cancer and passed mm-hmm. away two years ago. And there's this great scene where he talks about, it was the 1975 World Series. Um, mm. And who, who was Boston playing? Uh, I don't remember. But um, he had tickets to go to this game. Mm-hmm. And supposedly this was like the biggest game in Red Sox history. Was oh, yeah. that the year that they broke no. the curse? No, but... Pudge Fisk hit a home run. It's it's that one. If you if you've watched old baseball from the seventies at all, he hits the home run and then he's he's like he's like trying to wave it mm-hmm. fair so it goes over the goes over hits the green the foul monster. Line and yes, they storm the field. Yeah, so he's telling that story. And, Game six. Yeah, and they're both getting all excited, like, oh my god, like mm-hmm. you were there. And he's like, well, no, actually, I was I was at a bar and I I met this girl and mm-hmm. I my I told my friends I got to see about a girl and yeah. gave the tickets away and. And Will's like, what? You had tickets to that game? Like, yeah. And you, just to talk to some girl you never met? He was like, well, you know, like I would have rather had the 14 years with that girl who became my wife mm-hmm. than, you know, see that baseball game. Right. You then know? a story that I met this girl in the bar one time and then I and I always wonder where she was. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and then Will's like, but, uh, but I bet you. You wish he'd been in that game. He's like, well, I don't know he's going to hit a home run. Right, exactly. So it was kind of funny. And then um, there's another scene, um, a different time, where this is actually ad-libbed, and I think this is amazing. Um, He talks about, he's like, oh, my wife used to fart when she was nervous, and she used to (laughs) fart in her sleep, and she'd wake herself up, and that was totally ad-libbed. That was? Yeah. That wasn't in the script at all. That was the breakthrough. I mean, Mm -hmm. that that was the, because remember, that was the point where, like Will wasn't talking. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't, and he couldn't. Like Sean wasn't going to talk first. Yeah. And Will wasn't talking at all. And that was the breakthrough. Was him telling that that kind of vulnerable story. Once Will said something, then he could kind of tell that he could be vulnerable and tell that story, even if it was about his, you know, about farting. But, yeah. But it was about his wife. It mm-hmm. was a fond memory of his wife, and mm-hmm. so 
Yeah, that's a fantastic scene. And yeah, it was all ad libbed, and huh. all the laughing is genuine. And if you watch, if you rewatch the movie and the scene where it's like a close up on Matt Damon and he's laughing and the camera shaking, mm-hmm. the cameraman was laughing. <laughs> so, kind of just shows you that because it's a funny scene. It, it is. It's really it's a funny story. But it's also it just kind of shows you that 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 genuine talent that that Robin Williams had, and yep. we all miss him. Um, but anyway, so after the falling out with uh, with Skyler, um, well, also um, Lambo is trying to get uh, Will these different jobs and mm-hmm. like apprenticeships, and you know he knows his potential, and he is trying to get him you know out of South Boston and mm-hmm. doing something with his life. And this is where he and Sean kind of butt heads, right? And that's where that tension kind of comes to a to a head where where. Uh, uh, Sean's basically like, you know, you can't push him. It's just going to push him over. And he right. makes a point about the Unabomber, how same thing, mm-hmm. very educated guy was pushed in the wrong direction. Pushed too far. And he didn't want that to happen right. to to Will. Mm-hmm. And they're both kind of fighting about this, you know, his potential. It's about the boy. It's not, and you, they obviously have a lot of mm-hmm. conflict from their past. Years of, yes. Yeah. How, uh, you know, Lambo became this very successful man and Sean is just this, community college professor you Mm -hmm. know and how he he didn't live up to his potential and he settled or whatever and um but will is basically dodging all these different appointments and Mm -hmm. and interviews and he actually sends chuck to some of them and (laughs) um his like what did he say retainer he (laughs) just wanted cash um (laughs) but what did he say he was his like his like chief advisor yeah his chief advisor shows up in a suit negotiator yeah chief negotiator shows up in a suit and um so then uh there's another great scene where um they break up uh skylar and will had broken up and she had already left for california Mm. and he's working as like a construction guy with with chuck and Mm -hmm. they're just kind of having a break at work and and chuck has a really great moment which i didn't really care for his character at all but i really liked this part where he's like you know you have something that all of us want Mm -hmm. something that you know everyone wants and you're just sitting on it and you have a winning lottery ticket and my favorite part of every day when I come to pick you up is I'm just hoping that one day you're not going to be there and you're, you know, off doing better things. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I, I feel like almost immediately after that, he kind of just, he takes a job with, uh, one of Lambo's like, you know, friends. Mm-hmm. I forget where it yep. is. Um, well actually before all of that, he has a true breakthrough with, with Sean and they find out they're, their thing in common is they both came from an abusive family. Mm-hmm. Will was an orphan and his foster father horrifically abused him as a child. And um, Sean's father was a drunk and abused him as well. Mm-hmm. So they kind of, in a way, bond over that. And this scene has kind of become parodied a little bit. I just mm. think a family guy, but aside from that, it's, it's a very, <laughs> it's a very moving scene where, where he keeps telling him it's not his fault, not your fault. Yeah. for what happened to him. Right. And he just keeps saying it over and over and over until mm-hmm. he kind of just lets himself go. Right. After that, he accepts the job. And then he, remembering that story that Sean told him about, you know, always wondering what might have been if he mm-hmm. hadn't have went and talked to that girl who became the love of his life. He right. 
said, hey, hey, tell him, uh, sorry about the job. I got to go see about a girl. Mm-hmm. And his friends buy him this really nice car. He takes the car and drives <laughs> off to California. And It's the ugliest car he's ever seen. <laughs> it was an ugly car. And uh, Chuck uh, comes to pick him up for work, and he's not there. He's not there. And uh, it's, it's funny. He leaves... Um, he leaves uh, Sean a note, and he goes, son of a bitch, stole my line. Yep. <laughs> and and that's the movie. You know what's interesting, too, is that it, that Morgan instantly gets out and takes his seat in the mm-hmm. car, right? When you see them in the car, every time you see them driving, they're all, they have the same seats. Mm-hmm. So Morgan just gets out, and he runs to the other side, and he gets in the front seat. Like, he's just, he's just moving up in the hierarchy of the friendship yeah. or whatever. Yep. I, I, I never really thought too deeply about that until I watched, until I rewatched it again. That, that was, that was interesting. That, that means something. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Like passing the torch. Kind of, yeah. If you will. And these guys yeah. that are unfortunately probably just going to spend the rest of their life in Boston, not really going to amount to anything. But, yeah. um, but Sean says something earlier on too, you know, that these guys would do anything for, mm-hmm. for their friend and they're still good people. Just, right. You know, their loyalty. Yeah, Lo- loyalty means something, and that's and that's what they had. They had nothing else besides each other. Mm-hmm. Especially in, I, I mean, I've never been to South Boston. I have no idea what, but I I understand loyalty amongst friends, and so mm-hmm. I, I you know, that's all they had was each other. Right. Um, so, um, like I said, this film came out in 1997. Um, it was nominated for nine Academy Awards at the 70th Academy Awards. Um, and it only won two for Best Supporting Actor and for Best Screenplay. And like I said, uh, Robin Williams did snag that one. Mm-hmm. And Matt Damon and Ben Affleck won their first Oscars as well for Best Screenplay. Um, Matt Damon actually, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about this, was only 23, 24 when he wrote this. So um, you can tell it's it's a bit of, I wouldn't say immature. That's not the word. Yeah. It's... Um, it seems just very. I, I think in that case, it, it, that's not a that's not a, a negative word to use. It, it it really wasn't. It was a lot like um, if you go back to Kevin Smith films from the same time. I love Chasing Amy, but if you go watch Chasing Amy again now, it, it really it felt similar. It okay. had that kind of and immature is is a is generally a negative connotation. I think it, if you were to make it's if, very green. Yes, yeah. If Kevin Smith were to make Chasing Amy now, it would there would be differences. It would be more grown up. Yeah, it feels more experienced, more baked. Yeah, maybe and yeah. not baked in a smoking weed kind of Kevin no. Smith way, <laughs> but baked in a kind of done way. Yeah, I hear you. So, but I think that to a certain extent, that's what gave. That's what gave this its 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 kind of rawness, and you know the the greenness gave it made it kind of raw. Yeah, and much like a Southie is raw, right? I mean, yeah. it's you know or whatever. It I, I, there's something to that, and it plays into the story. Yeah, I think we're going to talk more about um, some things that I found really interesting about the making of this film, um, some themes, and um, I really also want to talk more about the um, the Academy Awards and just how this film was written. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get to that, let's talk about what else we are watching. Mm-hmm. Now, let's take a quick break for our segment, Side Streaming, where we catch up on some of the other content we're watching on Netflix, Hulu, Prime, and more. 
All right, Rich, what else are you watching? Oh, boy. Um, okay, you started so watching Breaking Bad yet? I did not. I have not Damn started it. yet. I know I will. I promise I will. You've been saying that for like two months. Okay, here's the thing. I'm really mad at DirecTV right now, so oh. I'm trying to get HBO for free. Oh, okay. Um, so I, and I will eventually. Don't you have Amazon Prime? No. No. Well, I know, right? I don't... Just no. borrow from somebody. That's I should. I, do. I totally should. <laughs> uh, I, I'm two episodes into The Watchmen. Okay. And here's the thing. If I don't get HBO for free, I don't really think I need to keep watching it. But if I do, then I'll keep watching it. Okay. So that's just kind of... And I loved the original. I loved the comic book. The movie was great. This is just... I don't know. Okay. I don't know. That's, that's I feel probably, like you have a stronger opinion on that kind of stuff than I do. Yeah. And I just, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I need to get more than two episodes into it just to fully understand kind of where they're going. I love Damon uh, Lindelof from the guy that's that's doing it. He okay. was one of the uh, original guys with J.J. Uh, Abrams that did Lost. Oh, okay. And so he also, uh, Lindelof did uh, the, uh, what was the, um, the Psycho, what was the, uh, Psycho, why can't I think? Uh, Bates, Bates Motel. Motel. There we go. He did Bates Motel, and I thought that was fantastic. Okay. We watched every episode of that. I thought it was great. Um, so I would give it another shot just based on the guy, but I don't know. Two episodes in, I'm not missing it yet. Okay. So, hmm. yeah. How about you? Well, I haven't really been watching much of anything. Um, October kind of kicked me down illness-wise. I got sick mm-hmm. three times, so I've been doing a lot of sleeping. Hmm. Um but I do watch, um, I still watch a lot of The Office. Mm. Um, I did watch this again, rewatch this film. Um, there's some stuff that I want to watch. I've heard Modern Love on Amazon is really good. Mm. I, okay. um, the only name that I can think of off the top of my head that's in it is Tina Fey. Okay. Um, heard that's really good. And I think it's based on like true stories, oh. which is awesome. Interesting. Um, Carnival Row, I still need to watch, which is going to be mm-hmm. coming up soon on the show. Um, I've been putting that off with Aaron for a while because with spooky season, it kind of just got put on the back burner, but hmm. it is coming. Um, you know, I'm trying to find, I, I always want to watch something new, but then it feels like such a chore to start something new. I, I kind of felt that way about the Watchmen too. <laughs> yeah. It's yes. just—it's nice to just have that show that you've watched a million mm-hmm. times and start watching it's it again. It's just comfortable. It it's, is comfortable. Yeah. I call it my falling asleep show because mm-hmm. there are shows that I fall asleep during almost everything I watch, unless I watch it in the middle of the day. <laughs> and even then, sometimes I fall asleep. I don't know what it is. I just get comfortable and just I'm out. But there's something about when you're watching a new show mm-hmm. that I don't. Like I get nervous. I'm gonna fall asleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to okay. like rewatch it. Like go back yeah. and. Or if Jake sure. and I are watching it together and he watches it without me, mm. there's all that. Yeah. So it's easier to just watch a show that you've already watched. Sure. Okay. So then you're not like, oh, hmm. like I, I need to go back and watch that episode because I fell asleep in the middle of it. Right. Or, or you'll like fall asleep and you'll wake up in the middle of a different episode and mm-hmm. you're like, wait, hold on. Oh, what, where am I? What What's happened? going on? Yeah. But no, there's there's a ton of stuff that I need to get into. Mm. I've been told I need to watch Mindhunter. Um uh, the Mandalorian starts in oh, two weeks, what's, a week. What's this? That's the Star Wars uh, uh, bounty hunter. So Boba Fett, remember Boba Fett? Yes. From, okay, so this he was a Mandalorian. Um, there's a show based specifically just on a character called the Mandalorian that looks like he has the armor of Boba Fett. I mean, it looks, the Mandalorians were a whole race of 
people and there's a whole backstory to it anyway uh directed by john favreau like the whole show was he's the showrunner for and it's on disney plus it starts in a week november 12th i believe so we we'll get to this in a second Mm -hmm. Uh, continue i i have a side thing about that it's a hundred percent star wars like it's it's like like star wars wild west I, I don't know, but there's, I mean, there's a ton of familiar characters. Um, gosh, the guy that played Apollo Creed, what's his name? Um, he's in it. Michael B. Jordan? Nope. Nope. Old, old Apollo Creed. Oh. Old. Yes. <laughs> not the new Creed. Yes. Okay. Not the new Creed. Okay. Not the son of Apollo. The, so the dad, okay. Apollo, Apollo Creed from Rocky 1, 2, 3. Okay. 4. Yeah. Rocky 4. So anyway. Yeah, he's in it too. There's, I mean, it's a, it, it's going to be. So far, what I've heard is like it's the Star Wars that everybody's always wanted. Hmm. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm not going to get my hopes up, but the Star Wars universe is so vast. Yes, there's so many spinoffs now. I can't keep track. Yeah, it was kind of before. I I don't want to say it was before my time because it's kind of transcended time. Mm-hmm. Much like uh, like. Well, I guess really Star Wars is the only thing I can think of that's been around for what, like almost five decades? Like that, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's still just as relevant to today's mm-hmm. generation as it was to previous generations. Right. I feel like Harry Potter's going to be that way, Lord of the yeah. Rings. Um, I'm just trying to think of other franchises like the Marvel Universe and sure. comic franchises are yeah. going to continue on. I, I have some some feeling that at, this, at some point Game of Thrones will figure out figure their shit out and and they'll continue on like i know they just canceled that prequel or whatever for whatever reason mm-hmm. i don't know why but you can't not follow up a success like that mm-hmm. with with nothing and it'll something will happen who knows i think so that show had such a following and i i missed the boat on it so many times that i was yeah. just like you know Nah. Yeah, nah. <laughs> Maybe one day yeah. when I have nothing else. You know, I told myself I would try to watch it when I was on maternity leave, and I just didn't. Yeah. I watched a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. You know what I watched last night when I was trying to get my son to go to sleep was um, Regrets in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> and that movie right. came out when I was in third grade. Oh, gosh. And I was like peak when I was like into Nickelodeon. Like 100% and, Rugrats. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like 100% Rugrats for like six years. <laughs> Like all of elementary school, that was my life. But it it kind of made me, I got a little emotional. Yeah. Because are you familiar with the plot of no. Rugrats in Paris? No. Oh, no. Well, let me let me tell you. Oh boy. So, um, Stu, the the father of Tommy. Okay. Yeah. He's an inventor. Okay. And um, he, like, was the designer of some like reptar robot for like a Broadway show. Okay. In Paris. And um, Paris has reptar, like Euro Reptar Land, um, which Reptar is obviously a uh, a parody of Godzilla. Sure. And so it's like a Japanese theme park in the middle of Paris. Mm. It's kind of weird. Okay. But anyway, so he is the designer for this robot for the show, and it's malfunctioning. And um, Susan Sarandon is a voice in this movie, and she's great. Hmm. Um her name's Coco and she's kind of like the showrunner and she calls Stu and she's like, hey, you need to come here and figure this shit out because your robot's not working. And by the way, bring all of your family and friends because... <laughs> because totally. Because reasons. Yes. And so, and then this is so sad. So um, Stu and his brother um, Drew, their father Lou, I know that it's ridiculous that all their <laughs> names rhyme. He got remarried 
and it's at their wedding at the beginning of the movie and there's a there's a scene where all the kids go dancing with their moms and and if you know the story chucky's mom passed away Mm -hmm. and so he's like off on the corner he's by himself and he has no one to dance with and it's really Mm -hmm. sad and then um there's like a whole thing where like angelica watched the godfather when she wasn't supposed to and so like it's the bob father (laughs) and he's like Bob, father, I want a mom. And so when they all go to Paris, he's like, maybe I can get a mom. And uh, Chaz, his dad, is like starting to like date again. He's interested. And and uh, there's a whole plot with like Coco's like trying to use him and blah, blah, blah. And this is super deep for Rugrats. It, 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 Rugrats is very, very progressive. Wow. You need to watch it. I, I watched guess. a lot of it when I was on maternity leave. And it's it, hmm. it has some great themes. But anyway... So um, I got emotional because um, there were just a lot of like mother-son moments mm-hmm. and it was very, very sweet. Sure. Um, but also it just made me think of like, I don't know, because like they're like friends and cousins. It just made me think like, oh, like like my nieces and my nephew and then like my son, like this is going to be them. Like not as obnoxious, but like, <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a scene where like they take the robot through Paris and it's like destroying the city. Like that would never happen. Oh, sure. But <laughs> that makes, yeah, why not? And like, as an adult, you're watching those things and you're like, like w- somebody would have had to have gotten sued or oh, yeah. like yes. gone to prison. Mm-hmm. Like this wouldn't just happen and it'd be fine. Yep. Like, no. Anyway, watch that last night. Um, that was, I just, I'm at the, I'm at the point with Theo where he, I feel like he, if I'm watching something with him in the room, it should at least be somewhat child-friendly. Mm, sure. He's starting to pay attention. Yeah. So we watched a little bit of it together, and he was very intrigued. Mm, okay. Um, and then he fell asleep. Mm. But um, no, there's there's a lot of stuff that I want to watch. I just I need to I just need to start. It's just hard to start something new. It's hard to start. That's true. It is. Yeah. It's going to get cold here pretty soon, so you'll be inside more. It'll be easier probably. Maybe. We'll see. I saw a meme on Facebook, and it was, it's, um, I'm home now, and I'm not leaving my house again season. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Sun's setting early. I like that season. I do, too. I hate leaving my house. Yeah. But, yeah, that is, that's what we're watching now. All right, we are back to our review of Goodwill Hunting. So one of the things that I wanted to bring up is kind of the development of the movie. So um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck wrote this together, but I feel like Matt Damon wrote a pretty big majority of it in the beginning. So he started writing the film as a final assignment for a playwriting class when he was at Harvard, which I actually didn't know he was a Harvard student. I I didn't either. I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, and instead of writing a one-act play, he submitted a 40-page script, and he wrote in his then-girlfriend, medical student Skylar, so Skylar's actually based on a real person, a real person. Which, which I think is very interesting, mm-hmm. um, into his script. And he said the only scene from that script that survived, and it, he said it survived verbatim, was when Will met his therapist, Dr. McGuire. Hmm. So I guess everything else was rewritten. And then came in Ben Affleck, and how long have they been friends? I- 20 plus years, I guess, maybe, plus more. Did I mean, Ben Affleck go to Harvard? Um, or did they just, I like, think, know well, each other? I think he's just, uh, is is Affleck, is he uh, is he from Boston or is he New Jersey? How did they get hooked up with Kevin Smith? Uh, well, they all did Chasing Amy, right? Sure. But I thought, I thought Kevin Smith knew 
Ben Affleck before because he was in he was in Mallrats. Right, Mallrats. I'm um, I'm going to Ben Affleck's Wikipedia page. Um, they had to have known each whether or not. And Boston honestly isn't that far from Jersey anyway. So from South Jersey, he was in Dazed and Confused. Yes, Ben Affleck, absolutely. Oh, oh yes, there are a lot of little mm-hmm. like he was a jackass before they were big names mm-hmm. in there. That's interesting. It's a great film. Um, okay. So then in came Ben Affleck, and he asked him to develop the screenplay together. The two completed it in 94. And at first, this is actually, I found this really funny. At first, it was written as a thriller about a young man in the rough and tumble streets of South Boston who possesses a superior intelligence and is targeted by the government with heavy-handed recruitment. Oh. That sounds terrible. Sounds like a horrible film. mm, Okay. So um, the film was originally bought by Castle Rock Entertainment for $675,000. And um, the president, Rob Reiner, urged them to drop the thriller aspect, thank God, (laughs) and to focus on the relationship of Will and his therapist. Terrence Malick told Affleck and Damon over dinner that the film ought to end with Will's decision to follow his girlfriend to California, not them leaving together. And at Reiner's request, screenwriter William Goldman, he read the script. Goldman consistently denied. Apparently, there was a rumor that he wrote he, all he of it. He wrote it, yes. Um, which he denies and says it's just a rumor. Mm-hmm. Um, this is interesting, too. And I want to bring this up because of the other giant film that came out that year. Mm-hmm. So Ben and Matt proposed to act in the lead roles. Many studio executives said they wanted Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> which is so funny because they ended up doing um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood together. Yes. Um, and also, that was when they were both really... I mean, they're still big actors, but they were still, like, really hitting it. At, well, no, like, Leonardo, Leonardo was in no. some, like, indie films at the right. time. What's he in Gilbert Grape and a um, couple other... Basketball Diaries. Basketball, oh, yeah, Basketball Diaries. Oh, that movie's oh, that was, uh, hard. It was hard, hard to watch. watch, yeah. But he was very good in that, though. Oh, yeah, he was. But... And Brad Pitt really wasn't... Gosh, when was Fight Club? Fight Club wasn't... Ni- that Early was 99, two, yeah, wasn't 99. it? Yeah, Okay, so it was way So neither of them had even, I guess, really taken off yet. What an interesting cast that would have been. That would have. And then what's interesting is because if they were originally, if let's say that the studios had decided to go with these guys sure, and Ben and Matt just weren't in it, uh-huh. then Leonardo DiCaprio never would have done uh, Titanic. Titanic. Well, and, and who knows what would have happened with, with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck too, because mm-hmm. I mean, Affleck was outside of the Kevin Smith movies he's done, he did up to that point, he really hadn't done anything. Mm-hmm. He was just, he could have just been a Kevin Smith actor and just, and gone on to, you know, and, and that's it. And did Matt Damon do anything before that? <sighs> Not that I can think of. Nothing of substance. No. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that was so interesting because yeah, the, the, the 70th Academy Awards for everything that came out in 97. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a huge year for movies. <coughs> Absolutely. Huge. And that was the year that uh, Titanic pretty much swept it. Mm-hmm. So that's just weird to think in an alternate universe. There's probably an alternate universe where those two actually are in the movie. I can only imagine what it would have been like. Um, but yeah, Kevin Smith was working with Ben Affleck on Mallrats and with mm-hmm. both of them on Chasing Amy. Castle Rock put the script in turnaround, gave Damon and Affleck 30 days to find another buyer for the script um, who didn't reimburse them. Otherwise, the script would be reverted to the studio and Damon and Affleck would just be out of it completely. Mm-hmm. 
So all the studios that were involved in the original bidding war were now turning the movie down. Mm-hmm. Um, and they only took meetings with them just to tell them to their face, we don't want to do this we anymore. Don't, right. Which is crazy to think that, okay, so you have a deal in principle and then, oh, at some point they all decide no. And mm-hmm. now you can just lose it and that would be it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize like how hard it was to get this movie made. No. Um, and then at a last resort, Affleck passed the script to Kevin Smith, mm-hmm. read it and promised to walk the script directly to Harvey Weinstein at Miramax. Yeah. Weinstein read the script, loved it, and paid Castle Rock their due, mm-hmm. um, also letting the two star in the movie. So unfortunately, we can thank Harvey Weinstein for this movie being made. Here's the thing. I mean, go take take the Weinsteins out of everything else. Miramax at that time was like was like the company to make movies. Like if you were an independent filmmaker, mm-hmm. like it was the Weinsteins. So in fact, we used to have we would have Oscar watch parties. Okay, yeah. so when the Oscars came out, we'd have an Oscar watch party. We'd print the ballot. We'd all fill out our ballots, right? And then there'd be a little trophy at the end. The tiebreaker for the winner was how many, you had to guess how many times somebody thanked one of the wine scenes, either Harvey or Bob. Ooh. That was the tiebreaker. And there were times where that would get up into the 10s, 12s, <laughs> 15s. Like, there were, they were winning so many awards back then because they gave so many young filmmakers a chance. Hmm. Now, it turns out he was a, just, he was a horrible Spies. person. Right, exactly. But in this, in this world, in the movie world, he gave a ton of people a shot. Can I ask a question? Absolutely. At the risk of sounding like a feminist killjoy? Abs- yep, yep. Were those mostly men who thanked him? Oddly, no. Really? No. no. Really? Uh-uh. No. There were a number of times it was, it was women that thanked him, too. But what did they have to do? Well, that's that's the point. That's, would, that's the thing. Unmentionables, yes. <laughs> and at that time, actually, mm-hmm. I think is when he was dealing with like Ashley Judd, Rose McGowan, who it's still going on today. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is actually really funny. So in his recollection of the meeting, Weinstein <laughs> asked about an out-of-place, mid-script oral sex scene, which Damon and Affleck explained was a test to see which studio executives had actually read the script. <laughs> I think that's funny. I have I have some sort of feeling that that's a Kevin Smith. Like, Kevin Smith had something to do with that. <laughs> Put that in there because they're not going to read it. Just kind see of thing. who's actually exactly. paying attention. Yes. Um, and then Kevin Smith actually turned down to direct it because he said they... He stayed on as a producer, but he wanted them to have a good director. A good director. Which is But funny. go through and look at the guys that they had to, that were going to direct it. Mm-hmm. Mel, Mel Gibson, Michael Mann, Steven Soderbergh. I mean, okay, Mel Gibson outside of Mel Gibson, who he turned into the crazy, right. you know, anti-Semite, whatever. But some of the stuff he directed before, mm-hmm. he, it was amazing. Braveheart, mm-hmm. uh, Conspiracy Theory. Did he direct Conspiracy Theory? I don't remember. Anyway... Braveheart, good Mm -hmm. lord. I mean, that's, you ask a lot of guys, that's top 20 for them. I feel like it was just a miracle that this movie was even made. That's true. I mean, everything that had to come together for it to be made. And then it ended up making, what was it, over 200,000 or 200 million? 200 million. 200 million dollars. Um, So it was obviously a huge Mm -hmm. success. Yep. Um, Let's talk about um, the filming. One thing I just thought was interesting is it, they filmed it in like three months yeah. between April and June. Um, although it's set in Boston, um, some many of the scenes were done on location in the greater Boston area, but all of the Harvard and MIT scenes were filmed at um, in Toronto. Yeah, which I thought was kind of sad. 
Which, I mean, if you keep reading on that, because I, I thought this was super interesting. Harvard's got a thing about you can't film there. Yeah. Like, they won't let people film there. But somehow John Lithgow got involved. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Like, yeah. how does he even get involved? And then they film a little bit on campus. Not a ton, but they film mm-hmm. a little bit there. Yeah. Which is super strange. And there actually is a Bunker Hill Community College. Yeah. They only use the the exterior like of exterior it. Shots. Yeah. yeah. But there is a Bunker Hill Community College, which so is I, awesome. I think it's really cool. Speaking of shooting um, films on campus, so um, there is a high school in my neighborhood, Papilla mm-hmm. La Vista, where a local film by um, Alexander mm-hmm. Payne was made called Lection. Mm-hmm. came out in 99. Um, I maybe have talked about this movie on this podcast before. It is a great movie. Absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. But every time I go to that school, I go there a lot for forensics tournaments. If you don't know what forensics is, it's speech. I won't get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but every time I go there, it's so weird. Weird. Because they filmed it all at the, well, not all, but all the school scenes. In the school. In the school. Yes. And so when I walk there, I'm just like, I. They were here. Like yeah. this is so weird. Um, and Matthew uh, Matthew Broderick, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Reese Witherspoon. Oh my gosh. Um, and my dad talks about it all the time. There are a lot of different scenes at like Marion, um, down by like the. Um, there's this scene where um, the sister is uh, like riding her bike, and it's over by like the power lines by like the mm-hmm. airport. Yeah. So I mean, like this is the movie was filmed like all over, all over the. Uh, city yeah. of Omaha in mm-hmm. Papillion, which is really cool. And now I live over there, so hmm. it's kind of nice. I, I really, I, I think it's interesting that um, Elliot Smith did a lot of the, uh, Danny Elfman did the score. Mm-hmm. So if you're familiar with the, who Danny Elfman is, Batman, he, he wrote the original score for Batman, uh, the original Michael Keaton Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he wrote this score, which was dramatically different. And I, it was it was fun to go back and listen to that again, knowing how much Mike, Danny Elfman has done since then, mm-hmm. and how different it is than everything else he's ever done. I think he saw. I think he also did uh, "How the Grinch Stole Christmas." Yes. Yeah. I, he's it's very over the top. Usually with him, he was in a band called Oingo Boingo years ago. <laughs> like that was his band. Um, and you probably heard it was like late seventies, early eighties kind of pop music, but nothing like this. Mm-hmm. I had never heard anything like this before from him. Uh, and then there's a guy named Elliot Smith who wrote a number of the songs, and he ended up committing suicide from depression years later. Mm-hmm. So, but and one of the songs, so it's the song that ends the movie, Miss Misery. You can't buy it on iTunes. You can't find it anywhere. You can only get it, as far as I can tell, on the Goodwill Hunting soundtrack. That wasn't, really, it wasn't written specifically for it. They just used it. Interesting. Yeah. So huh. I that was it, it. It's a good song, but. Yeah, it's just kind of a tragic. Go mm-hmm. read the go read about Elliot Smith. It's just kind of just kind of tragic songwriter kind of thing. Yeah. But you you can hear it in his you can hear it in his lyrics. You can hear it in his music. It's yeah. It's kind of how I feel about um, Chester Bennington. Mm-hmm. You know, when you listen yeah. to old Lincoln Park, yeah, you're just like, wow, how did we not know? How did we not see this coming? Right. It's very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing I thought that was really interesting is, um, so in the early version of the script, Will Hunting was actually supposed to be a physics prodigy, hmm. not math. Um, and also, um, obviously, no offense to Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, but I don't imagine that they just knew all of this stuff that, that Will was saying, all of these you know, insightful... Right. They had to have somebody on set that kind of knew yes. the math. And so, um, Daniel... Kleitman, Kleitman, a mathematics professor at MIT. They actually um, referred to him. Um, wait, hold on. Sorry. 
uh, Nobel Laureate. Mm-hmm. Nobel Laureate? Yes. Nobel go. Laureate yes. in physics, Sheldon Glashow at Harvard told, I probably butchered that, hmm. told Damon the subject should be math instead of physics. And he referred Damon to his brother-in-law, Daniel Kleitman, a math professor at MIT. In spring of 97, Damon and Affleck asked Kleitman to speak math to us for <laughs> writing realistic dialogue. <laughs> so he invited postdoc Tom Bowman to join him to give them a quick lecture. When asked for a problem that Will could solve, Kleitman and Bowman suggested the unsolved computer science P versus NP problem. But the movie actually used other problems. Hmm. I wouldn't have known otherwise because no. math is not my strong suit. No. Columbia University's physics and math professor Brian Green at the Tribeca Sloan retrospective explained that for physics, having some deep insight about the universe typically is a group project of the modern era, while doing some mathematical theorem is a singular undertaking very often. So the reason he did math was because it was more an individual Hmm. thing. So I thought that was interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, math was math is the reason why I don't have a college degree. But honestly, I don't. None of that made any sense to me whatsoever. No, so. no, I you, they could have been making mm-hmm. all of it up, and I wouldn't have known. No idea. No. Um, some of the, like the big themes in this movie, I also kind of wanted to talk about. So um, I would say the biggest one is intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the surface, it's you know just yeah, Will Hunting's a very smart guy, mm-hmm. but. It's more of the emotional intelligence that he has to learn because he, you know, he's read all these books and he's right. he's educated himself and he kind of, I guess, well, I wouldn't say he hides behind his intelligence because he hides it from everyone. Like he hides how smart he is from right. his friends and when he solves these problems, he doesn't want anyone to know that it's him mm-hmm. and he, you know, walks away from, from Lambo in the beginning. Um, am I saying that right? Is it Lambo? Lambo. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know why that just sounds wrong. Maybe less Lambeau Field and more Professor Lambeau. Oh, okay. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Lambeau. Maybe. Yes. Um, less football, more MIT. Okay. There we go. Um, maybe I am thinking of like Lando. Oh. Like Star Wars. L- Lando. Lando. Which is a whole other topic for another day. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, the the emotional intelligence that mm-hmm. uh, that Will has to learn throughout the movie, um, you know, and also just it doesn't matter how educated you are. Some people are just naturally gifted and naturally smart. Sure. And there's all different kinds of intelligence out there. Mm-hmm. And um, also just it doesn't matter what your background is or where you come from that, you know, there are just anyone can can make it if mm-hmm. you if you have the the drive or even just the natural gift mm-hmm. but you also have to just it, it it's unfortunate because you know there's i think about it you know all these people who are probably really gifted and really smart and have the ability to i don't know cure cancer or mm-hmm. you know solve some of the world's biggest problems but are pushed down because of their background or right. their race or their gender or whatever it is mm-hmm. that it's unfortunate that, you know, some of these minds are never see, you know, the light of day. Mm-hmm. Um, in this film though, uh, he happens to, you know, find the right job. And I think Sean mentions that in the movie, he's like, you know, you could have been a janitor anywhere. Why were you a janitor at one of the most prestigious technical schools in the world? Right. And, you know, the reasoning behind that is because he kind of, I guess, I don't know, maybe like subconsciously wanted to yeah. 
find his way. I think that's the only way he would have agreed to to Professor Lambeau's like terms was because he really did want that way out. Yeah. Because Chucky was right in the end. Like he and he knew Chucky was right, but he just he was he was too scarred. There was too much emotion there for him to mm-hmm. admit that that's until he has that breakthrough with Sean. Mm-hmm. That okay, this is what he has to do. Mm-hmm. Like this is he knows he has to do this. It proves that therapy works. I guess therapy works. Yeah. People, I will say, you know, talking through this movie and watching it again. I don't remember the first time I watched it, but I just remember not liking it. It's very cheesy, and the plot is very predictable. I'll just say that. Mm, okay. I, from what I've, from what other critics have said, it's a very predictable narrative. You know where it's going. You know yeah. how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. But there are those moments that make it worth it. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Robin Williams' character is great. I don't know if it would have been as effective had it been somebody else. Mm-hmm. I think he was the right choice. I don't even know how they pitched that to him. I didn't read that anywhere, how they got Robin Williams on. I remember hearing one time, but I don't remember what it was, though, or why, how he agreed to do it. I don't and, know. And that was like the peak of, I mean, he had the 90s was a great time for oh. Rob. I mean, well, I mean, he didn't start in the 90s. I no. mean, he started back in the 70s. But he but did some amazing films in the 90s. He sure did. Yeah. That was just like peak Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how they got him. Um, I don't know. And it, I it had to have been through the Weinsteins at some point, I, I, I assume. Probably. Like you need that. You have such a, and even Minnie Driver at the time probably wasn't as well known of an actress. I mean, no. she had done some stuff, but not a ton. So you need that strong... And Stellan Skarsgård was wasn't that guy either. No. So you need that strong actor to kind of to be the heart, to be that to be that character. Exactly. And he did such a good job. Yeah. And Ben Affleck and Matt Damon have both gone on to do some great things. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ben Affleck won another award for Argo. Mm-hmm. Um, when did that come out? Two thousand. Mm-hmm. Handful of years ago. Eleven. Yeah. Sooner. They're 14. Hold on. I'm going to do a quick little mm. Wikipedia search. If I had to guess, I would I would say 2014. It has not been that long ago. Nope. I'm going to say 2013. I'm going to guess 2012. Mm. It, hasn't, it can't be. A, it, it, 2012. Oh, ha! man. Sorry. I maxed out there. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> R.I.P. years. Mm, yep. Um, but he won for best director for that, and he yeah. starred in it. Yeah. I thought that was, that movie's excellent. Didn't he write it too? I thought he had something to do with the writing. Ooh, or did maybe? he? I don't recall. I, I I remember he was involved in almost every. He was one of the executive producers too, wasn't he? Like it was some of his own money behind it. Like it was. He and that just to me shows uh, that, like, it was a true glow up. As far as his talent, mm-hmm. not just acting talent, yeah. but and I, I told Rich that I thought the the Boston accents were terrible in this. <laughs> it, it wasn't as obnoxious the second time. I remember it being so much worse. I, it, I, I and we'll get to this here at the end, but I think I understand why we disagreed so dramatically in the beginning about this. Okay. So, but I think and why you may have come around on it a little bit. Okay. So I, I, I have a theory behind this. He directed. Produced mm-hmm. and starred in it. Okay, all right. And I think that's it. Yeah, that's which was still an incredible film. If you haven't seen Argo, it's a it, it is great. It's pretty fantastic, wonderful. Uh, but he's gone on to to do other really really good stuff, and I'll, I'll put Batman in there too. Like he was a great Batman. He was great in Gone Girl. He was great in that Gone movie's Girl too. Amazing. What a crazy film! Like if you haven't seen that, Gone Girl's wonderful. What an amazingly 
crazy plot. Is it Ros- Rosamund Pike? Hmm. Is the actress in that? Maybe. She's wonderful as yep. well. Oh, the end of that's fantastic. That's so good. Um, such a just great payoff mm-hmm. for everything that yes. happens in that movie. Yeah. Um, it takes that crazy left turn that you don't like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And then Matt Damon went on to do, you know, the Bourne Identity mm-hmm. series. He did uh, The Martian, which mm-hmm. he was nominated for. I think that was the year that Leonardo DiCaprio won yeah. and did not win the Oscar for that one. But I think he won the Golden Globe mm-hmm. for that. And that movie was great right. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they both went on to do such great things. I think it shows how green they were. When you, I mean, you watch it now, 22 years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cheesy. Yeah, the script is... To me, I, don't, I wouldn't say the script is weak. It's just very thin at, at parts. Sure. No, to I, me, I, it feels a little unbalanced. Like you, some of it's very like cheap, and then it gets to the really rich parts that you're like, okay, this is this is where it gets good. This is where it feels more real. Well, I think you said it. It's predictable. There's a predictability to it, and maybe that's where you kind of feel that like, oh, I see what's coming, kind of cheapness mm-hmm. or whatever. But in the end, there's the, you know the payoff at the end is kind of what you wanted. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Where do you think the uh, the title comes from? <sighs> like, what do you think it means? Well, I, you know, I have no idea. Normally, I would like that. I, I don't know. Like, it's not as just simple as good will hunting. He's mm-hmm. a good person. He's, like, it's not. Yes. It's not that cheap. Like, but yeah, goodwill. I don't know. I think it just maybe. I don't. I honestly don't know. Goodwill. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe Matt Damon could tell us. Are Maybe. you listening, Matt Damon? Please mm. come on to our show and That'd be tell fantastic. us about That would be awesome. <laughs> he just comes to Omaha, Nebraska, like to be on this. If he walks this, in the door, this be small little podcast. Um, I will say, though, like I said, overall, I did like this a lot more in the second time. Mm-hmm. But one, there are a few things I found really frustrating with it. I already mentioned, I you know, that some of the more eh, parts of the film are mm-hmm. just kind of lazy seem mm-hmm. not very well written and unbalanced to the deeper parts that just kind of seem sometimes feel like they're thrown in out of nowhere like there wasn't a strong enough build-up to it in my opinion mm-hmm. i think for the time it was i mean if this movie came out today i don't think it would be as well received i don't think it would be ill received i just don't think it would have done as well i don't think it would have done as well no um for the time it was it was pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll say that. But I did find it frustrating that the only two real female characters in this film are used as development arcs. Mm. So yeah. Minnie Driver's character is just kind of a stand-in. She doesn't really have much going on except mm. that she's intelligent and beautiful I, and she helps Will. Like, like she's a concept for him. Yeah. And then, well, in that she's just one-dimensional. She's That's very all. one-dimensional, and it it's unfortunate, mm-hmm. kind of. Which, mm. in my opinion, I'm like, why did she get nominated for best supporting actress? What did she do? <laughs> like, yeah, no. Um, it must have been a thin category for supporting that year. I don't remember who it was. But I guess I don't know. But uh, and then uh, Robin Williams is or Sean's wife. Yeah. You know how his whole character is based around her. Yeah, and she's not even in it. She's, she's not even there. No. So to me, and I used to talk about this a lot with Allison, you know, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of, you know, female characters, female written shows, female written films. And mm-hmm. obviously this wasn't written by, by women, mm-hmm. but the, the female characters in this are few and far between and they're used as plot points. Yeah. A little disappointing to me. Mm-hmm. And I, 
I, I, I find that problem in a lot of films sometimes where I'm just like, I don't know if it's just me or if it's my gender or what, but sometimes I'm just like, eh, was this film not meant for me? Mm-hmm. Like, was it not? There's a lot of like coming of age films for like, for like young boys or men that I'm mm-hmm. like, I feel like maybe I just didn't understand it as much if I that's were yeah, that's possible. a man. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that that's just the one thing that, really bugged me sure. about this is those is those female characters are very thin mm-hmm. and don't really exist so yeah. I, can, I can see where you're coming from on that yeah at the same time yeah i guess it yeah would another female strong female character have made any sense in the in the world of those four friends no right i mean that's if it had been a larger world then maybe but it was such a small cross-section of time you know i mean it happened within a semester or two yeah right so in in the lives of these four guys so i can see where you're coming from though well and you gotta think too like movies like stand by me or that newer movie with matthew mcconaughey like mud Mm -hmm. they're like coming of age boy stories Mm -hmm. i guess it doesn't make sense i mean there are counter films with Mm -hmm. you know all female characters i I I just wish there were more i challenge you with this there's, and this is the one thing I thought, and I thought about this on the way in today as I was driving over here to the office. I thought about it a little bit last night after we got done watching it. Like, there's a little Will Hunting in all of us, maybe. Aww. And I, you know, <laughs> and and gender is irrelevant here. I okay. mean, you just, just think about the, maybe, and okay, so maybe you weren't abused as a child. Maybe you weren't an orphan, but there's there's that you hide behind that facade of whatever it is that makes you feel safe. Okay. And that's what Will hid behind the tough guy thing because because he took the ranch, right? I mean, it's when his when his stepdad would lay out the stuff, he mm-hmm. would he would take the ranch or whatever. So he hid behind that tough guy persona and and that's kind of what carried him through life. And so gender aside, there's there's that little bit of okay, I can hide behind this because this is what I'm comfortable showing the world. And okay. he didn't, you know, that that type of thing. At the same time, I think we all need a friend like Chucky. Yeah. I think as much as you said, you know, Sean Robin Williams was the heart of, of the movie, he, Chucky was kind of the soul. Chucky was the, Chucky's the guy that we all need. He's the best friend that has to tell you, hey, you're screwing up here. Or, you know, that type of thing. He's not scared to tell you when you, when you come off the rails a little bit. Or... Like when you do something like this, it's very clear what the choice should be here. You need to make this choice when nobody else will tell you, right? Yeah. People you work with won't tell you. Your parents may or may not tell you. It just you need that one person, gender aside, that would say this is what you need to do. And you may not be happy about the answer. You may not be happy hearing that, but you needed to hear it. And that's why that. That scene with them taking a break, drinking beer on the at the truck was so important to the whole film. Mm-hmm. And it, and okay. I, the only thing I wish is that had happened earlier in the movie, because it, then the it, payoff at the end would have been so much better. It feels a little rushed at the end. Yeah, there had he had to Chucky had to be okay at the end with Will not being there, and and so they had to they had the film because that scene sort of feels out of place because outside of. Morgan and oh, who's the other guy, the the curly haired guy. Is it Billy? Is that his name? Billy. It's always the four of them. And mm-hmm. when these two are just together, then real Chucky gets to gets to tell Will how it is. Yeah. Right? Because he's kind of a goof. 
yeah. throughout the beginning. Yeah, he's just a, you know, or whatever. He wants to get in fights. He's a Southie. That's what he does. But when push comes to shove, he's going to tell his best friend what he needs to hear. Yeah. So we all need it. We all need a Chucky in our lives. Okay. Um, I, yeah. There you go. I, I would agree. In a cross section of, of time. Yeah. You can, you, you don't have to assign genders to any of them. There's a little bit of will in us and we all need a Chucky. And we all need a therapist like Sean. Mm, that's true. <laughs> we could, we could all use a Sean. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's get into our review of Goodwill Hunting. Okay. If you had asked me a week ago, I mm-hmm. would have probably given this like a two. <laughs> I think I'm going to give it, I think I'm going to give it a 3.5 hmm. out of 5. Mm-hmm. I've been giving a lot of 4s lately and I feel like I need to back off from the 4s mm-hmm. because I've given very few 5s, but I feel like I give 4s to stuff I really, really like. Hmm. Okay. So, Which makes but it's, sense. But it's not quite a 3, 3.5. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I feel like for the time, it was really good mm-hmm. and maybe if I wasn't 5 when it came out. <laughs> and I had, was a little bit older and watched it for the first time or had watched it sooner, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, maybe I would have enjoyed it more the first time. Um, I think there's a lot of nostalgia with those older films. Like, I, I, I don't want to compare it to Titanic because it did come out the same year mm-hmm. and two vastly different films. Dramatically different, yeah. For very different reasons, or good mm-hmm. for different reasons. I'm comparing it just in the sense that like you watch it now and it's it's a little dated. Yeah. But it was still really good for the time. Mm-hmm. I would I would say for Titanic special effects mostly. Sure. Like they're a little dated. Yeah. But still great for the time and still great now. Mm-hmm. And I would say that this story is still relevant. It's still relatable. It doesn't matter. I did read somewhere and I won't get into this too much um that at the time like for I guess for especially people from Boston, mm-hmm. it was such a big deal for them because people didn't really have stories about Boston. Sure, there wasn't really anything big mm-hmm. in television or movies about the people of Boston, so mm-hmm. it was kind of a big deal for them at the time. And the article that I read was like, people didn't hate Boston then; they hate Boston now because mm. of you know mm. we, they were just kind of the, you know the the underdogs, the losers, their sports team sucked. And Mm -hmm. now, you know, the Red Sox are winning all the time. And (laughs) the Patriots win all the time. Oh, God damn, the Patriots. Yes. Um, But, you know, for, for, I guess, Bostonians, it's, it was, it was really cool to see them portrayed that way in a very honest way. So. I think, okay, and so here's where I'll get into the kind of, maybe the reason why you didn't like it at first, but now you can appreciate it a little more now. So I, I think it, it doesn't make my like top twenty ish movies, but it's in the it's definitely in the twenty to thirty range. Okay. Right. So it's a it's a solid like four point two five for me, like right in there. Just oh, Braden would hate you. I can't give it a four and a <laughs> half because then I mean then you're getting into like top ten. Yeah. Right? Top twenty type of type of things. And I think the reason it came out at a time in my life where I was that age. I was I was Will's age and Chucky's age like that was, and so, not that I'm a math genius, but you know I struggled with kind of place in the world kind of thing. And this is hey this guy, he figured out his shit like he figured out his place in the world, and and you know he you always you want that kind of group of friends you want those loyal guys that would take a bat to somebody's head like like mm-hmm. Sean said you know and 
if you asked him nothing we're doing that or condoning <laughs> that of you know at all but you, you know you know mm-hmm. figuratively i guess so i think that's why it just happened at a, it happened at a time in my life where now you're at that time right you are that age now yeah and so I well, I lived that age. So what they were filming, when they were filming it, was exactly the way it was when I was that age. And so, you you can relate slightly more to it now because you are that age, because you you're a parent for the first time, and you know you've you've you're finding your way in the world. Whereas before, like you said, you were younger, and it just it didn't speak to you at all. Yeah. So I, I think I think that was maybe the difference why you didn't like it at first. I think too is I just don't make good first impressions. Hmm. There are a lot of things that I don't like and people that I don't like the first time <laughs> that I meet them or the first time I watch something. Um, sometimes it takes a second chance. For yeah. me. I'm, I'm a big believer on second chances. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would, I stand behind that 3.5. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like I said, for me, Robin Williams is a big reason mm-hmm. for that 3.5. He is, does a great job in it. I'm, I'm, sad that it's the only oscar he ever got i think i don't i i would say it's some of his best work is it his best work ever i don't know but well it it, i mean honestly it depends because dead poet society was probably one of his best films of all time i mean his best nominated for that did he i was just about to go look that up and i don't think he did he got nominated for um fisher king which was uh, i mean that was okay so Dead Poet Society was 1989. So let's see, 19, which wasn't too far from when they filmed this. So it was eight years. Yeah. Oscars. So let's see if, who else was who was nominated. And I would assume he was. Okay, so here's the thing: Dustin Hoffman won for Rain Man that year. So was he mm. going to win? No, 100 percent no. Dustin Hoffman was going to win that. But and then Rain Man won won Best Picture. So, yeah, and we talked about it a little bit, but when this film was nominated for all these Oscars, it was up against Titanic for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. You're not winning against Titanic for Best Picture or against Titanic for Best Director. You're just not. Well, at least they got Best Screenplay. So, as I was searching for this, was I was working at a theater back then, um, kind of searching for my place, kind of thing or whatever. I was writing a screenplay as well. Oh, I still have it. It's half written. Um, it, I'll never finish it. It's in a box, and I don't know where it is, nor do I care to know where it is. Um, I mailed a copy. I mailed the half-written copy to a friend of mine. She's like, oh, my gosh, this is fantastic. And at that point, that was enough for me to say, yeah, I don't really want to do this. And so I put it away, and I put it in a box. And Anyway, uh, so I, I watched this movie more times than I can count just because that and Jason Amy. Jason Amy, I wanted to be Kevin Smith. I thought that's what who I was going to be. I thought I wanted that I wanted to be Kevin Smith, and... I don't know. So that another reason maybe why this played so much into my development was it made me realize I'm not a screenwriter. I don't I don't want to do this. This isn't this isn't for me at all. We're not going to show up to Atlas one day and it's going to be a note. <laughs> sorry about no. the, sorry about Atlas. I got to see about a screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Dang it. No. All right. Well, hey Rich, thanks for joining me on this one. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I I definitely appreciate getting to watch this again so i'm glad i I, it gave me a new perspective on it and definitely a more positive review okay so um 
I think I think it did me a favor. So good. Um, and thank you everybody for listening. Um, if you guys have any suggestions on other shows that I can review or movies that have just been uh, released on different platforms, oh, that was one thing I never brought up. This is available for streaming on iTunes, YouTube, um, Amazon Prime, all for rent. They're not just on there free, unfortunately. Mm. I got it on iTunes for like four bucks for a two-day rental, so pretty cool. Um, But yeah, if you guys have any other ideas, please let me know. Always looking for new things to watch, and I promise I'm actually going to start something new. (laughs) Um, But until next time, uh, keep on streaming. See you guys. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Atlas Now Streaming. Let us know in the comments what you're watching and if you think we should give it a review. Until next time, keep streaming.